Honestly Speaking with Tara, where telling the truth is still a revolutionary act. Boy, oh boy, has a lot happened in the last week. I'm sure you've heard me say many times that a week is an eternity in politics. Well, this time, a week was literally an eternity, a lifetime in politics. Holy shit. What has happened in the last seven days? Well, let's recap. Um, Before I recap, actually, let me say who's going to be on the podcast this week. Let me preview that at least so you know what's coming up. Uh, I have Kurt Bardella, who used to be a Republican. He was a Capitol Hill staffer, worked for the House Oversight Committee for the Republicans for years. He and I are actually friends. We used to work together when we were both Hill staffers. Kurt quit the party, has become a Democrat, but he wrote a really good piece and for the for USA Today calling out the Republicans' hypocrisy on the way that they are behaving in the oversight capacity now. And Trump has been whining about he's being so mistreated and no one's ever been more mistreated as president. Well, Kurt... Uh, take some issue with that because he was there when Republicans went after Obama for years. And so was I. So we're going to talk to Kurt a little bit about that. He's going to give some examples, talk a little bit about our buddy, Jim Jordan and what a hypocrite he is now. So Kurt's coming up. Um, and also John Cipher, who is a 28 year veteran of the CIA clandestine services. He's now retired, but he spent 28 years with the CIA as a spy. That's what the clandestine services are. That's the spy arm of the CIA. John Cipher is no joke. And he spent a lot of that time in Moscow. So he knows the Russians. He knows the Russian propaganda game. And he, like many others in the intelligence community, are horrified by what's going on with this president. So stay tuned for my conversation with him because he offers a lot of insight into and context into the gravity of what's really happening right now with the president of the United States and his behavior and what we've found out. So what is it? Back to the recap. What have we found out in the last week? Well, since we were last together, the whistleblower complaint has been made public, as well as the transcript of the or the the summary of the call, not an exact transcript, but close of the call between Trump and the Ukrainian president. There were a lot of calls for that, and it finally happened. After that, the whistleblower complaint was declassified and made public. After that, the acting director of national security, uh, the director of national intelligence, McGuire, testified in front of the House Intelligence Committee about that whistleblower complaint because it had been delayed going to Congress for a month almost. And he needed to explain why, because the statute says that after it's been investi- after a whistleblower complaint's been investigated, it goes to the ins- uh, the inspector general investigates, deems whether it's credible or not, and then it's supposed to go to Congress. It shall go to Congress. Well, that didn't happen, and we found out why, because there was some discussion between the White House and the acting DNI and the Office of Legal Counsel about whether it was in fact urgent and whether it was under the purview of the intelligence community which is dubious legal reasoning, in my opinion, and many others. It was clearly political. And because they knew it was damning as hell to the president, they didn't want Congress to see it. Well, not only has Congress seen it, the American people have seen it too now. And it is awful. It is not good for the president of the United States, no matter what he tries to bullshit the American people into believing. 
The call, the transcript, it's clear that Donald Trump is asking for a political favor, putting pressure on the Ukrainian president to do his bidding and to help him against the political rival, Joe Biden. Um, No, he does not directly say to him, unless you dig up this dirt on Joe Biden, I'm not giving you your military aid that you desperately need from us in order to fend off Russian aggression in your country. No, he doesn't say it that way. But if you've ever seen any mafia movie or even one episode of The Sopranos, you know how mafia bosses talk in code. And this wasn't even really that coded. He said, I have a favor to ask, though. (laughs) I mean, it doesn't get any clearer than that. What the hell they think that he meant? Come on. You have to bend over backwards to try to say that that wasn't him putting a little thumb on what was on the scale of what was going on. Come on. We all know what that meant. Now, the the Ukrainian president said initially, well, no, he didn't feel pressure. But that's just like someone who's a hostage saying that, no, their their captors aren't horrible people. They're treating them really well. What is it? What is he going to say? They need the United States to to help protect them from Russia. They need the money that comes from us for them to buy weapons to protect them from Russia. Russia's already annexed part of the Ukraine. They're constantly fighting with them. There is a kinetic hot war going on. So I don't, so don't listen to that. Okay. Don't listen to that. The president continues to repeat this and trying to use that as some excuse. He keeps saying it was such a beautiful call. It was a perfect call and we're all crazy. The intelligence community's nuts. The inspector general is crazy. Everyone who's deemed the whistleblower's complaint as credible were everyone's nuts. It's a deep state conspiracy. Well, no, it isn't. The whistleblower's complaint is backed up by the call, the substance of the complaint. And it wasn't just about the call. Now, the whistleblower admits in the complaint, and if you haven't read it, please go and read it, folks. The complaint and the call transcript, they're only a couple pages each. I think the call transcript is five pages. The whistleblower complaints, nine, maybe. And read the footnotes. It's... (laughs) Every American should be alarmed by this. It's quite clear the president of the United States is using his political office to benefit himself, not for the benefit of the United States or for any policy to benefit the United States. It's clear. Trump is freaking out. He's melting down. He's been tweeting like an insane person, again, more than usual. The the, the tweet lunacy is on like 100 because this is really bad. And frankly, Republicans are not exactly defending what Trump has done. They're trying to distract and they're arguing process and they're putting forth all these bullshit conspiracy theories on top of everything just to muddy the waters to confuse people. And I got to tell you, it's a little frustrating for me watching this because I, you know, I keep up with it. Obviously, other people don't do this on a daily basis, but listening to this, the lies that are coming out of the president's mouth, out of his Twitter feed, what Rudy Giuliani's doing, some of these Republican sycophants like Jim Jordan and, and uh, Lindsey Graham and others that are just making excuses and just throwing crap out. I just, just so much misinformation to deliberately confuse people and send them down these conspiracy theory rabbit holes. And a lot of it's been debunked already. A lot of it. But if you watch Fox News or you listen to Mark Levin or, uh, you know, talk radio, right wing talk radio, holy shit, they live in a completely different world. And they're just purposely misleading people. Anything to protect Trump. 
It's disgusting. It really is. So I'm going to go through a couple things. Um, and then I'll get into my interview with Kurt and then with, uh, former CIA spy, John Cipher. Um, because I just think it's really important for people to be informed. You have to be informed because they are really slinging a lot of bullshit and it's hard to keep up with it all. So this is, these are some of the, the things that I think are important. And as I'm doing this podcast, breaking news already, I mean, the pace of the information, it's hard to keep up with. And, and I do this every day. Like I'm really read in, like I know what's happening. I follow this. Imagine people who have real jobs and real lives, not saying that I don't, or those of us in this business don't, but regular folks that aren't in politics. I just don't know how people keep up with it all. And I think that's part of the the plan. That's why Trump does this. He just keeps throwing shit out there and seeing what sticks. And then they repeat the same bullshit over and over and over and over and over. And then that's what people believe. So I want to repeat a couple things. One, well, first one, there's breaking couple breaking news stories to pay attention to and see how they develop on top of everything else that's happened in the last week. Rudy Giuliani has gotten himself subpoenaed, thank God, because he has been running around with showing texts on his phone, claiming that the State Department sanctioned his shadow diplomacy, which I talked about during last week's episode, his shadow diplomacy in Ukraine. Oh, no, look, uh, I've got texts here, the State Department, and the State Department was like, wait, what? We didn't sanction this. And oh, well, Kurt Volker, who's the special envoy to Ukraine, he set up the meetings and I wasn't just doing this on my own. Well, Kurt Volker, by the way, abruptly resigned after that on Friday. So he's out. He's now a private citizen. And he's part of the list of people that the Democrats have decided to interview, get a deposition from. Because, oh, yeah, I forgot. The other major thing that happened in the last week is an official impeachment inquiry has been opened up. Thank freaking goodness. It's way overdue. And I think this time it's different than the Mueller report. It's a little bit easier to understand. The president of the United States was asking for foreign interference into an election, to, for asking a foreign country to dig up dirt on a political ally. And then they tried to cover it up by taking these phone conversations and putting them on a top secret server that's only supposed to be used for super duper covert operations, like the most sensitive national security stuff. What the hell are they doing putting this on a code word, what they call a code worded server, so that only a few people could access it? White House claims it was to stop leaks. Yeah, right. I wonder, did Mueller know about that? Was it, did they do this to hide some stuff from Mueller? Because it's been reported that it wasn't only the Ukraine call that went on this top secret server, which is out of the normal process of things. It was calls to Putin, calls to Saudi Arabia, Mohammed bin Salman, and God knows who else. That's all we know thus far. I mean, stuff is coming out at a rapid pace. We also found out that on May 10th, 2017, Donald Trump had a meeting with the the Russians in, in the Oval Office. Remember that? A couple days after uh, he fired, I think it was the day after, he fired Comey. And then the freaking Russians, Sergei Lavrov and Kislyak, were in the the former ambassador to Russia and the foreign minister are in the Oval Office yucking it up with the president of the United States. And they did not allow American media in, only Russian media, which, by the way, there's no free press in Russia. What the hell were they doing letting Russian media, quote, into the Oval Office for this meeting. Most of them are all spies. 
This is all part of intelligence gathering. What the hell? And we didn't even find out the substance of that of that meeting from our press. We found out from those freaking Russians. Well, we remember that meeting, A, because it shouldn't happen in the first place and people were aghast at the fact these people were in the Oval Office, but also because Trump called Comey a nut job and said that the pressure had been relieved off of him now that he's gone. And he revealed classified information about operations and sources concerning ISIS that compromised the Israelis. People were like, oh my God, this was two and a half, two and a half years ago now. That was May of 2017. So you think now of all the stuff that's happened since then, all the reckless shit that Trump has said and done and his conduct with Putin and Kim Jong-un and oh my God. So he was already reckless a few months in. Not any surprise to those of us who know that he's completely unfit, but anyway. Well, now we also found out because now people are talking. The dam is breaking. You don't mess with the, with the intelligence community. I'm telling you right now. I'm not saying there's a deep state. But these are really serious patriots. They take their work seriously. They are professionals. They've dedicated their lives to protecting this country from foreign enemies. And this president is reckless as hell. He's putting this country's national security at risk. And people have had a freaking enough. God bless this whistleblower. And I really hope that they do everything they can to keep protecting this person. The president's threatening them. They're trying to, it's, I'll get to that in a minute. But what we found out now is that, that con, the, the notes from that meeting on May 10th with the Russians in the Oval Office, they were also put onto this secure server to squirrel it away so many people wouldn't find out what the hell Trump was talking about because he said that he was unconcerned with the Russians meddling in our elections because, well, you know, the U.S. does the same thing. So what? So the president was unconcerned that our one of our enemies was meddling in our elections, doing all kinds of, of nefarious shit. And we know more detail about it now, thanks to the Mueller report. Please, people, read volume one. I talk a little bit about that with John Cipher coming up, too. But unconcerned. That should tell you right there that the president has no problem consorting with foreign governments, consorting with our enemies to do whatever he has to do to win an election. So you're telling me that they didn't do that in 2016? Of course they did. Maybe it didn't rise to the legal standard, which is pretty high of conspiracy, criminal conspiracy, but there damn sure was a lot of collusion. And it's all spelled out in the Mueller report. And it's spelled out throughout the indictments by Mueller that came out as a result of the Mueller investigation that are all out there in public for public consumption. And my good friend, friend of the show, and my colleague at CNN, Asha Rangappa, actually reminded us of some of those tactics. She, uh, you got to follow Asha on, on Twitter. She's amazing. And she, um, she pointed out some of the details that were in an indictment that was filed with the court. It's public knowledge a year ago. Before all of this, it was a year ago about one of the Russians caught up in the Internet Research Agency operation. It was called Project Lafka to attack our elections. And it started in 2014 and it goes into detail, just like volume one of the Mueller report of how the how the Soviets, how the Russians were able to infiltrate social media and manipulate information and all the things. And I've got to tell you. 
that some of the instructions, I think I'm going to read a couple of them because it made the hair in the back of my neck raise up because a lot of it sounds almost verbatim, like what the president of the United States repeats during his press conferences, repeats at his rallies and tweets out, whether it's a retweet or he tweets out himself, the messages are eerily similar. Let me grab a couple and read them to you. Okay, so in this complaint, filed in August of 2008, it goes on to explain, uh, I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce the Russian names, but I, well, I'll try one. It's this woman, her name was Kusinyanova. <laughs> That's her last name. She was basically the accountant for this whole operation that was infiltrating our our elections. It was part of an international effort. Wasn't The United States wasn't the only place they were doing this, by the way. The Russians were meddling in European elections too. Germany, Britain, Brexit, all that. It's a worldwide effort with the Western countries, these Russians. Anyway, it talks about how the purpose of this operation was to sow discord in the U.S. political system and that members of this conspiracy use social media and other internet platforms to, quote, inflame passions on a wide variety of topics, including immigration, gun control, Second Amendment, the Confederate flag, race relations, LGBT issues, the Women's March, and the NFL National Anthem debate. Members of the conspiracy took advantage of specific events in the United States to anchor their themes, including the shootings of church members in Charleston, South Carolina, concert attendees in Las Vegas, Nevada, the Charlottesville Unite the Right rally, and associated violence police shootings of black men, as well as the personnel and policy decisions of the current U.S. administration. And members of the conspiracy were directed to, quote, create political intensity through supporting radical groups, users dissatisfied with the social and economic situation and oppositional social movements. And the conspiracy sought, in the words of one member, to effectively aggregate, aggravate, I'm sorry, the conflict between minorities and the rest of the population. So they go on and they give certain examples of of types of tweets and Twitter ads and Facebook p- passages and they they created fake groups and the type of messaging behind certain events that they should use. The Russians now acting as trolls and fake Americans. That's what they were doing to manipulate information and get people riled up. They told they here's one example. Colored LGBT are less than less sophisticated than whites. Therefore, complicated phrases and messages do not work. Be careful dealing with racial content. Just like ordinary blacks, Latinos and Native Americans, colored LGBT people are very sensitive towards white privilege and they react to posts and pictures that favor white people. Unlike with conservatives, infographics work well among the among LGBT and their liberal allies, and it does very well. However, the content must be simple to understand, consisting of short text in large font and a colorful picture. Those are instructions from the Russian handlers to their trolls on what to do. Here's another example of something that, if you, if you were paying attention, that the Russians were claiming that they should do to inflame issues. Citing an online news article titled McCain says thinking a wall will stop illegal immigration is crazy. The conspiracy directed the article to be messaged in the following way. Brand McCain as an old geezer who has lost it and who long ago belonged in a home for the elderly. 
emphasize that McCain's pathological hatred toward Donald Trump and toward all of his initiatives crosses all reasonable borders and limits. State that state that this dishonorable scoundrel, such as McCain, immediately aims to destroy all the conservative voters' hopes as soon as Donald Trump tries to fulfill his election promises and tries to protect the American interests. So the attacks on McCain, pushed by Russian trolls. Also attacks on Paul Ryan, pushed by Russian trolls. Here's one, another one. Voter conspiracy, oh, the, the voter fraud narrative right? How Donald Trump was talking about all this millions of voter fraud. Here's another one. The conspiracy directed that the article be messaged in the following way. In California, voter registration rolls, there are more registrants than there are residents. This is the time for American conservatives to sound the alarm before the elections turn the Constitution into a mockery and a celebration of lawlessness. Emphasize that previous falsifications during U.S. elections used to be perceived as a myth. But today, they became a reality with a threatening force and are perceived accordingly. Emphasize that all illegal voters must be kept away from the ballot boxes at distances beyond artillery firing range. There is also an urgent need to introduce voter ID laws for all the states, above all in blue states, the ones that are liberal and undecided. Remind that the majority of blue states have no voter ID laws, which suggests that large-scale falsifications are bound to happen there. Sure, oh, I'm sorry, state in the end that the Democrats in the coming election will surely attempt to falsify the results. Sound familiar? Listen to what else sounds familiar. Now remember, this is all, what I'm reading from is a court filing by an FBI counterintelligence agent that was helping in the investigation into the Russian troll farms and their efforts to, to uh, meddle in the election. And this was the uh, accountant, this woman, Kusinaya Nova, who was named in this. This all happened through the Mueller investigation. This was a court filing from August of last year. Some of this is also in the Mueller report, like I said, volume one. This is the one that made my hair stand up in the back of my neck because all the other instances I kind of knew already from reading the Mueller report. But if you have been following me throughout this whole Trump national nightmare for the last couple of years, I have said eerily that I've worried about blood in the streets, about a civil war happening because of how rabid his supporters are. And some of these people are fucking lunatics and some of the stuff that they espouse and the, and the threats on my life, even personally, that I've seen, some of the language, just the way people have behaved with this guy, it's, it's like a cult and it's scary to me. And I've worried. I have worried about potential blood in the streets. Well, Donald Trump over the weekend retweeted uh, this, this despicable Pastor Jeffress, Jeffress who is uh, an evangelical supporter of Trump's, who's um, just making a, a complete mockery of Christianity, supporting Donald Trump. And he made some comments on Fox and Friends talking about how there'll be a civil war if this, if this president's impeached. And Donald Trump retreated, retweeted that. Say that three times fast. <laughs> um, yeah, much to the horror of many people, Unfortunately, not enough Republicans, only Adam Kinzinger has come out and said, hey, this is irresponsible. Maybe more will come out. But as of right now, he's the only one. But are you freaking kidding me? 
So this is again, right along the lines of what Russian trolls are pushing. From the indictment, citing an online news article, Savage says civil war if Trump is taken down from or about August 2017. A member of the conspiracy directed that the article be messaged in the following way. Listen to this. Forcefully support Michael Savage's point of view with competence and honesty. Savage made it clear that any attempt to remove Trump is a direct path to a civil war in the United States. Name those who oppose the president and those who impede his efforts to implement his pre-election promises. Focus on the fact that the anti-Trump Republicans drag their feet with regard to financing the construction of the border wall, are not lowering taxes, they slander Trump and harm his reputation, make sure to bring up McCain, they do not want to cancel Obamacare, are not in a hurry to adopt laws that oppose refugees coming from Middle Eastern countries entering this country, summarize that in case Republicans will not stop acting as traitors, they will bring upon themselves forces of civil retribution during the 2018 elections. Unbelievable. Donald Trump, and and there are several examples of this. There's other ones. Um, I'm going to read one more. A member of the conspiracy, uh, directed that art that articles about no welfare to migrants for grants for the first five years be messaged this way. Oh, wait, no, I'm going to skip that one. Here's one about Robert Mueller. This is the last one. And I mean, there's more. They, they have messaging about how to attack Marco Rubio. Because remember, this was going on during the election. Well, even before that, from 2014 through the election and beyond into the midterms, they were still trying to meddle. And like I said, this is from August of 2018, but it's still a window into what the hell is happening. Conspiracy directed that the article about the dirtiest scandals of Bob Mueller that no one is talking about be messaged in the following way. Now, just keep in mind, think back to what was going on as Bob Mueller was uh, investigating this and how more information was coming out about the wrongdoing of Trump's campaign and, and playing footsie with the Russians. They were trying to discredit Bob Mueller, who is a patriot, one of the most well-respected lawmen in the country. He obviously has lost a step. His testimony was a disaster for Congress, but that does not change the content and substance of what he found or his illustrious career. I mean, former Marine, FBI director, come on. Anyway, conspiracy directed that the article be messaged in the following way. Special Prosecutor Mueller is a puppet of the establishment. List scandals that took place when Mueller headed the FBI. Direct attention to the listed examples. State the following. It's a fact that special, the special prosecutor who leads the investigation against Trump represents the establishment a politician with proven connections to the U.S. Democratic Party who says things that should either remove him from his position or disband the entire investigative commission. Bob Mueller's a lifelong Republican, by the way. But just an example of the false information they were trying to push that how many times did you hear this from Donald Trump? Hmm? There's more. Summarize with a statement that Mueller is a very dependent and highly politicized figure. Therefore, there will be no honest and open result from his investigation. Emphasize that the work of this commission is damaging, they mean investigation, but 
this is Russian translation, emphasize that the work of this commission is damaging to the country and is aimed to declare impeachment of Trump, emphasize that it cannot be allowed no matter what. I mean, if you put this side by side with Trump tweets over the over these last two years, it's uh, freaking straight out of the playbook. This is alarming as all hell. But yet you've got these people out here defending Donald Trump who know better. On the Sunday shows, you had Jim Jordan running around trying to spread false conspiracies. Jake Tapper took it to him and fact-checked him on the on scene, which was great. Trying to say, talking about Hunter Biden and how there's something wrong and fishy with this. And I cannot emphasize enough that Joe Biden did not pressure the Ukrainian government to fire their prosecutor general to protect his son. There was no ongoing investigation at the time of the company Hunter was working for. Joe Biden was simply a messenger from the uh, stating official U.S. government policy that they, they that we would no longer give them money to help develop their country as long as this corrupt prosecutor was still in place because he was not investigating corruption, not because he was investigating Joe Biden's son's company. That is not true. The IMF, the Western, our Western allies in the EU, everyone wanted this guy, Victor Shokin, out because he was corrupt. So what sense does it make that Joe Biden would want the prosecutor who's not prosecuting fired if that's how he's protecting his son? What sense does that make? It doesn't because it's a lie. And I'm really frustrated that the that the Biden campaign is not doing a better job of defending this and and changing this narrative, because if they don't, they're going to let this get ahead of them uh, and get away from them. And it's going to be really hard for Biden to get it back. But you had Jim Jordan putting that out there, which is B.S. Now, fair game. If you want to talk about, you know, the vice president's son being on the board of a, of a Ukrainian gas company making fifty thousand dollars a month, that's a that's a legitimate question about optics, not about legality. And, but then you can turn around, which is what Jake Tapper did and said, but well, then how come you're, oh, if you're not okay with that, why are you okay with the president's son-in-law and daughter profiting off of working in the White House currently? Ivanka Trump is getting all kinds of copyrights and patents from, from the Chinese. Jared Kushner's company made $90 million last year. And God knows what the hell his two doofus sons are doing on the taxpayer dime because they get Secret Service protection, by the way, when they travel to make these overseas deals. So who the hell knows? There's so much corruption and graft in this in this administration. Come on. Come on. He's a hypocrite. And Kurt Bardella talks more about this, some of the hypocrisy from Jim Jordan, positions he used to have before when it was Obama, but apparently doesn't have them now that it's Trump. You had Lindsey Graham, another one, another disgrace. He was on the Sunday show talking about how Trump has a right to face his accuser and it's nothing but hearsay. Secondhand, this whistleblower, so-called whistleblower, secondhand information. Okay, let's put this to bed also. First of all, a whistleblower is protected. Their anonymity is protected by law. It's designed that way. That's why they're called whistleblowers. And Lindsey Graham knows this. He's been in the Senate long enough. So he's completely disingenuous with this whole, it's a secondhand so-called whistleblower and that Trump has a right to face his accuser like any other American. No, he doesn't. This process doesn't allow for it to be that way. A, there's a law that protects the whistleblower from retribution on purpose. B, Trump is not every other American. He's president of the United States. 
he is in a position to seek political retribution or some kind of retribution against a whistleblower. C, if he were in fact a regular American and this were a regular criminal trial, Donald Trump would be, would have been indicted for obstruction of justice from everything in the Mueller report. But it was because of that Office of Legislative Counsel memorandum that says a president can't be indicted while in office. That's the only reason why Mueller didn't, didn't recommend indictment. So stop with this, that Trump is just like every other American. He has a right to face his accuser. You want to start applying regular American criminal law to this? You, I don't think so. <laughs> Trump would be in a lot of trouble. So that's bullshit. This other thing about this, the hearsay stuff. So there's another conspiracy that's been ginned up by Trump's um, minions, and it blew up over the weekend in, in conservative social media, all about how somehow the whistleblower's complaint was revised because you, should, you used to only have to have firsthand knowledge. Secondhand knowledge of, of wrongdoing was not accepted. But there was a change, a revision to this, to this application for the inspector general to review that happened right before it went public. Okay. That's not true. So the Daily Beast did a story and others um, examining this, and they talked to a guy named Irvin McCullough, who works for the Government Accountability Project. He's also the son of a former inspector general um, for the intelligence community. He said that that form was revised in May of 2018, and it wasn't, in, and that secondhand information was always acceptable. This idea that only firsthand knowledge was acceptable, but to file a whistleblower complaint is not true. What was revised was some language that had to do with um, the process of the inspector general who gets the complaint and investigates it to see if it's credible, and that these people have completely misinterpreted this and are misleading people about it to gin up a conspiracy. So yes, the form was revised. It's like, you know, when you work in the government, there's all kinds of forms. There's the SP this, the SF86. There's the, you know, there's all kinds of forms for all kinds of different things. And this is when you fill out a formal complaint, this form, they revise them all the time. Sometimes they change some language. Some things are convoluted. They make it easier to understand. But the idea of secondhand information has always been allowed. It can't be rumor innuendo, but when you give that information, what, you, what you've been privy to, this is what I've heard, this is what I think is going on, and I'm gonna report it, it goes to the inspector general whose job it is to investigate whether it's credible or not. The inspector general for the intelligence community received this whistleblower's complaint and investigated it like he's supposed to, according to the law. The inspector general for the intelligence community, his name is Atkinson. He is a Trump appointee. He investigated it, found out he, he was able to corroborate this information from the whistleblower with people who had firsthand knowledge. That's why he deemed it credible and urgent and wanted to pass it on to Congress. Even the acting DNI said that he did not dispute that the whistleblower acted in good faith and that the inspector general's conclusions were credible. Hello, where's the conspiracy here? This is just BS being thrown out there by Trump's people and you can't fall for it. We really, really can't. You know, you had Stephen Miller, they trotted him out. I don't know why he is the absolute worst 
and straight I call him a brown shirt. That's what he looks like. How he behaves when he talks. And Chris Wallace took it to him. Because Chris Wallace over at Fox is one of the only honest, him and him and Shepard Smith and maybe Judge Napolitano are like the only honest people about what the hell's happening here. And he, you know, went after Stephen Miller for putting out propaganda and talking points that just were not true. This is what we're dealing with, people. I'm telling you right now, the president of the United States tweeting about civil wars and facing his accuser and all kinds of other lunatic shit. It's only the beginning. I, I just... I fear for what the future looks like with this. And we have to be diligent and make sure that people understand the truth. And you know you, go, you can always count on me to bring you the facts. And those are the facts on those things. We also have breaking news now that the president asked the Australian prime minister to help Bill Barr investigate the origins of the Mueller investigation. So add that to another foreign government. And it was by the urging of Bill Barr. You may remember that Trump has empowered Bill Barr to name a, a, a career prosecutor. His name is Durham. I forgot all about this, actually, that they're investigating how the Mueller investigation started. What? I mean, now, why Australia? Just a quick reminder. It was George Papadopoulos, the the foreign affairs advisor for the Trump campaign in 2016, who got drunk in a bar in London and bragged to an Australian diplomat that he had been talking to someone who said the Russians have hacked Hillary Clinton's emails and they have dirt on her. That was the impetus for the, the Russia investigation right there. And then other things were happening and people were like, wait, what? But that's how it started. That's how it started. So now we're going back to this because Trump can't get over his obsession with Hillary Clinton and the 2016 election, and they're trying to delegitimize the Mueller investigation. All a bunch of BS. One last thing that we have to debunk, and then I'm going to bring in Kurt Bardella and then John Seifer. This thing that Rudy Giuliani was running around on the Sunday shows, holding up affidavits, claiming he's got all this information from Ukrainian prosecutors who say that there was wrongdoing with Hunter Biden and, and, and that uh, the Ukrainians may have the server, the Hillary Clinton server that was hacked because CrowdStrike, which is the company that the DNC hired to investigate the hacking, is co-owned by a Ukrainian guy. That has long been debunked. That is another out there Alex Jones type you know, 4chan or was 8chan back then, conspiracy theory. It's not true, completely debunked. And Tom Bossert, who used to be a, a Trump Homeland Security guy, went on this week and said, that is 100% not true. Our government has already determined that that is not true and that it's a conspiracy theory. And he wishes that Rudy Giuliani and everyone else would stop putting it out there. So it's not true. More BS. And I've got to tell you, interviewers have got to do a better job of stopping this crap coming out of Giuliani's mouth and him waving around affidavits. You can't believe a thing that the, that the prosecutor who was fired, remember the corrupt guy, Shokin? Giuliani's running around trying to say that this guy wasn't corrupt and he's a good guy and he's got an affidavit where he claims all this and that and that, yes, you know, Biden fired him because of the, got him fired because of his son. He's full of shit. The guy is corrupt. This is Giuliani's big story. This is his source. 
if all this was true, why didn't why wouldn't Trump just use the the FBI and our resources if they think there's so much corruption going on here? Have them investigate it legitimately, not Fruity G, as Asha Rangappa calls Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> oh my God, what a mess! Buckle up, folks. Buckle up. This impeachment is going to be um, a hell of a ride. Even if the Senate doesn't remove him, it's still worth it because we've got to send a message that this is not acceptable behavior by the president of the United States. And this is all a hundred times worse than Nixon, a hundred times worse than Bill Clinton. And it's, that's what we know. Just imagine what's going to be uncovered as this investigation unfolds. Gee whiz. On that note, time to bring in my buddy, Kurt Bardella. There's been so much going on with this um, impeachment inquiry and just watching the way that the Republicans in Congress are behaving that I'm just floored by because I always say, I mentioned that I was a staffer on, uh, a congressional staffer on Capitol Hill for many years, and I was around when Republicans went after the Obama administration and the criticisms that they leveled, and to watch so many of these people turn around now and just have complete disregard for the principles they used to believe in to support Donald Trump is infuriating to me. And one of my good friends, we were Capitol Hill staffers together, his name is Kurt Bardella, and Kurt was so fed up with Republicans that he quit the whole party and became a Democrat in 2017. And believe me, I get it. And Kurt wrote uh, an op-ed. He's an op-ed writer for USA Today. And he wrote an op-ed that's out claiming impeachment wine. Trump thinks Republicans weren't tough on Obama. Believe me, we were. How does he know? He says, well, why would Republicans have, what would Republicans have done to Barack Obama? Everything Democrats are doing to Trump and more. I know because I choreographed the GOP barrage. Uh, Kurt used to be the spokesperson and senior advisor on the oversight committee on the House side when Daryl Issa was chairman during the time when we worked together. So Kurt definitely would know. And he's now my guest on Honestly Speaking. Kurt Bardella, welcome, my friend. Uh, thanks for having me on, Tara. Now, not only did you all work for the Republicans on the Hill, but you also worked for Breitbart, which was your breaking point, um, I believe. <laughs> uh, remind people why you quit Breitbart before we get into your. I thought it's like flying, flying too close to the sun. You know, I kind of <laughs> know what that expression means now. Um, you know, I was uh, after I left Capitol Hill and, and the Oversight Committee, I, I, I was brought on by none other than Steve Bannon to be Breitbart's media consultant. And at the time. What Bannon pitched to me was building a platform that that told the conversation that was happening on the center right. Now, remember, this is back at a time where there was a lot of division between the quote unquote John Boehner, Eric Cantor establishment wing of the party and what was then known as the Tea Party. And I agreed with the premise that the mainstream media didn't understand what was happening, didn't really know how to talk about it or cover it. And there would be room for a platform to emerge to chronicle what was going on. That's how it started. Where we ended up was them becoming the de facto propaganda machine for Donald Trump, which was something that I certainly did not sign up for. And it kind of culminated with this incident between then Trump campaign manager Corey Lewandowski and one of Breitbart's former reporters, Michelle Fields, where Corey grabbed Michelle, left bruises on her arms, 
And Bannon and Breitbart were so desperate to protect Corey and Trump that they basically threw her under the bus, wanted me to go out there and lie about what was going on. And, and that was my breaking point. That's where I decided I, I don't want to be associated with this. I'm making the decision right now to walk away from it and resign. And that was in the spring of 2016, right in the middle of the yeah. presidential election from hell. And uh, <laughs> Kurt said, uh, I'm done. And I remember that. And I remember thinking to myself, who are these people that are defending this situation? And of course, we see that Corey Lewandowski, like like a bad freaking uh, horror movie, seems to constantly keep coming back. And he's he, oh, I had to deal with him when CNN hired him during the election. Mm-hmm. And that was very hard sitting next to him because he's such an arrogant bastard sitting next to him on panels during that. And, you know, because we were colleagues at the time, I could never express how I really felt publicly. Uh, I could only take him to task on air, which I did often, but um, (laughs) routinely owned him. I well, thank you. I mean, I had no choice because they're just such liars. And um, now that he's no longer in that capacity, I'm able to freely say what a bastard I think he is and what a liar. And it um, to see that these are the kinds of people that Trump and people that we used to know and respect are defending. I, I it makes my my head hurt. I just can't deal with it, which leads me to where we are today. So um, we're in the middle now of a full-blown impeachment inquiry, and watching these oversight hearings and the hearings in the intelligence community, uh, intelligence committee, mm-hmm. um, the judiciary committee, which has turned into a freaking circus. I <laughs> some of these members, and I and we, you know, we tweet a lot. If you guys need to follow Kurt on Twitter, he's at Kurt Bardella. Kurt always sets the committee members straight because he used to work for a bunch of these guys. And like me, we would sit in hearings on Capitol Hill and we know what the proper decorum is. We know how people are supposed to conduct themselves. And we know how a lot of these people felt when Obama was president. And to watch them Mm -hmm. behave like this, when you were watching the Corey Lewandowski hearing, could you believe how out of control judiciary members were and how much lack of control Jerry Nadler had at that committee? I was losing my mind watching that. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, I'm a big believer that if you're going to have a high profile, high stakes, highly visible hearing that you better have your shit together. And it was clear from the moment that Lewandowski took the stand, uh, Jerry Nadler had no control over that hearing, had no sense of how to deal with that kind of disrespect, with that pushback. And I can tell you, had we had, when, when ISA was at the Oversight Committee chairing it and I was working for him, had we had had a witness act the way that Lewandowski did, we would have held his ass in contempt that minute, that hearing, period. Exactly. We would not have messed around with it. Nope. We would not have given them the forum to flagrantly basically disrespect us in front of the American people. We would have said, all right, you don't want to answer questions? Fine, we're voting to hold you in contempt of Congress right now. That's right. That it never would have gotten like that. And I'll tell you right now, Republic the Republican chairman never would have allowed the minority party, the Democrats, to be as disrespectful to the chair as they were. And the outbursts and the parliamentary inquiries and all of the extraneous bullshit that they were doing to disrupt that hearing never would have happened. They would have stopped it. I'm, I can't remember who was judiciary chair back then uh, when, when we were around. Do you remember? Lamar Smith. Yes, Lamar Smith. And Lamar Smith was like, you know, he was not, he wasn't exactly a rambunctious guy, but no, but he would not let them get away with that. He was very methodical and and been around for a while. He's a Texan, you know, I mean, come on. 
But yeah, I I, I, I just I, I mean I remember during a, a confrontation that ISA had with now Chairman of Oversight Committee, then the ranking member Elijah Cummings, where Daryl literally cut his mic off to stop him from talking during a hearing, and it wasn't anything nearly as contentious right. as what we saw the other week. Right. They would they would definitely cut a mic off quick. That's true, to stop people from talking, because when you're the chairman, you're the chairman, and that's the end of it. It's not a democracy in a, in a committee right. hearing, actually. So um, I mean, there, there, are, there are Republicans who have literally ordered the Capitol Police to escort members out of the hearing for being out of line. I mean, it's like so. What we saw last week was, uh, or two weeks ago, was just unbelievable. I mean, it, I, I I could not believe Democrats were willing to, to subject themselves to that kind of disrespect. I, I couldn't either, and I was making the comparison and contrasting the way that Nadler ran the Judiciary Committee hearing versus the way Adam Schiff conducts the intelligence. Mm-hmm. Even during the Mueller uh, testimony, I mean, the market difference. It's, uh, I mean, Derry Nadler needs to take some notes. Schiff isn't perfect, and I was never a big fan of Adam Schiff's before all of this, but I have to tell you, he runs it the way you're supposed to. Now, he made a huge mistake during the um, the DNI hearing last week when he read the, mm-hmm. the, the parody of Trump's um, words during the transcript. He, they should have known, I don't know where his staff was, they should have known that that would have been an area that Trump would zero in on. The, the, the transcript was damning enough. He didn't need to do that. But other than that misstep, I thought he ran that committee flawlessly. Oh, when you look at his control of of the hearing, the the line of questioning, the way that his tone and tenor and temperament were, yes. that is exactly what the model should be for Democrats going forward. The one takeaway they should have, and you're right to point this out, there is no need to overreach in this case. Nope. The, the facts are are bad enough. Right, there is no right. need to hyperbolize. You don't have to exaggerate. Frankly, if we sat in a room and concocted a fictitious story to pitch to Hollywood, we could not come up with anything <laughs> as ridiculous as what is really happening right now. I, I know. I know. <laughs> Fact is stranger than fiction right now. It's just it's it's <laughs> nuts. So let's let's talk about your piece because that's basically what you the, the heart of what you're talking about. Because Donald Trump has been acting like a fucking insane person, worse than usual. Now that the impeachment inquiry is ramping up, and because he knows that the evidence is so damning against him thus far, it's only going to get worse. And he's been tweeting like a mad person and um, complaining as usual, whining and bitching about how. Oh, I've, no one's ever been treated so unfairly. Oh, really? In your piece, you you call it an acute case of Trump amnesia. Talk about what 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 were you referring to? He claims no one's been treated well, worse, know, but um, I think that the Republicans I, treated Obama pretty tough. I thought you know, talk about a person who's just so ignorant of very recent history. On Saturday morning, the president tweets, "Can you imagine you know what, what the Republicans would have done to Obama?" Uh, and and I thought to myself. Actually, yeah, I, I can imagine because they did these things. They did have hundreds of oversight hearings. They issued more than 100 subpoenas in the oversight committee alone. You talk about the duration. He complains about these, these quote-unquote witch hunts. Well, when Republicans controlled Congress and Obama was in office, they had not one, not two, but three investigations that lasted twice as long as the Mueller investigation ever went. And so talking about Operation Fast and Furious, Benghazi, and, and, and an issue with the IRS, right. and, in, and in, in those hearings, what I always found interesting, and I was remembering the, the things that people like Jim Jordan, who's one of Trump's biggest defenders on TV, you see him all the time on Fox News, you know, defending Donald Trump, and here he was holding the Attorney General Eric Holder in contempt for not providing information, and he said, there 
the only path to the truth is through the House of Representatives. That's correct. What happened to that guy? Well, what happened what else? To, to, to these Republicans? You know what else Jim Jordan said? And we'll, we're going to talk about Jim Jordan because he's one of those that I'm just disgusted with. Uh, he, in 2014, when they were talking about uh, the Obama executive overreaches, right, with all the executive orders, mm-hmm. which was a legitimate complaint. And mm-hmm. Jim Jordan, he said, Obama said in 2013 that he's not an emperor, POTUS, but it's POTUS's job to execute the laws. Congress must hold Obama accountable. Well, what the hell happened to that principle when it came to Donald Trump? This guy is, is, is flouting his oath of office and laws every single day. That, oh, what, I mean, you, that go back and, you go back and look at almost every quote and every statement that Republicans made during the Obama years. And it, 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 it's, it's like they're two different people now. I mean, right. this was the Jim Jordan who, who, who said, how can you ignore the facts when you don't get the facts? I just want the information. We just want the information, so we have the facts. Well, now you have a guy who's on TV every day defending the White House's and the president's deliberate obstruction uh, and blocking of facts and evidence and witnesses and testimony. And, 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 and I asked myself, what the heck happened to the, to, to, to the Jim Jordan who talked about – the American people's right to know what's going on in their government, who talked about every day the need for vigorous oversight over executive overreach, who was part of the lawsuit against the executive branch suing them for abusing executive privilege. And this is the guy who right now has done a complete 180 and is defending the executive branch's flagrant, complete abuse of power and corruption. It's, I can't believe what I'm seeing. Uh, it's unbelievable. And just to reiterate to my listeners, you worked directly with – Jim Jordan, when he was a member of the Oversight Committee, when you were a spokesman for that committee. So you know, like you started working with Jim Jordan in 2009. And I, yep. can, and I was there. I was in Capitol Hill then. And I remember Jim Jordan kind of being one of our Tea Party champion guys that was a you know tough questioner, no nonsense. He didn't exhibit this level of crazy back then. I'm like, what? Who is this guy? I remember when he went after uh, Timothy Geithner, the secretary of the yeah. Treasury back then when all of this stuff started coming out about some shadiness with the bailout. Where was this money going? Mm-hmm. The Solyndra issue with, you know, $500 million yeah. going to a yep. buddy of the, the stimulus dollars, right, stimulus cl- cash for clunkers, all of that. And mm-hmm. and Jim Jordan, he rose up pretty quickly through the ranks of the, of the oversight committee as a star um, questioner and dogged supporter of the constitution and the rule of law and the separation, separation of powers. I just can't believe that this is the same guy. He's obnoxious, he's out of line, and he's a liar. Did you see him get owned by Jake Tapper on State of the Union over the weekend? Oh, yes, I did. <laughs> Kudos to my colleague Jake Tapper at CNN for taking Jim Jordan to task, because a lot of these guys use the same tactics now. They overtalk, they interrupt, they don't answer the questions, and they just spew bullshit. And just like Giuliani did the same thing. And Jake finally had enough. I mean, and I, you, Jake doesn't, ver- doesn't lose his temper often, but he raised his voice at Jim Jordan a little bit because it mm-hmm. was just that outrageous what he was saying. And, and Jim Jordan didn't really have – he wasn't able to come back with any facts on anything when, when, uh, when Jake owned him on the issue of, oh, you're going to go after Joe Biden's son, but you're, you're okay with uh, the Trump kids profiting off of the presidency. They work in the White House now. Mm-hmm. Like, I, it's, I can't. 
Well, and and I tell you, and that's the thing that I think, if anything, actually really frustrates me. It's that I feel like Democrats have done a really terrible job of pointing out these inconsistencies and, and hypocrisies uh, by Republicans that they're getting opposite from. Why, why, why is Jake Tapper doing a better job calling out Jim Jordan, uh, you know, than Jerry Nadler? Right, right, exactly. And I, I'm frankly very frustrated with the Biden campaign. Um, and the way that they're handling the situation. I mean, I've openly supported, you know, said my support for Joe Biden in this election cycle. And as a career political communications professional, I'm dying the way that they're handling this because they're they're letting the narrative get away from them, I think. What do you think? I mean, Kurt, you've been doing this a long time, just like me. We were crisis communications people for our congressmen, you know. Mm-hmm. We, we, do you think they're handling this I- well? I don't think and I haven't seen anybody in the Democratic Party who has shown that they actually understand how to message oversight at all. Um, And and it's incredibly frustrating to watch because, in my opinion, when this first started breaking, I thought, wow, what a gift for the Biden campaign to be put center stage uh, in in this story about the president's abuse of power. You could not create a better contrast to someone, Joe Biden, a person who universally, we all agree, is a person of dignity, integrity, morality, character. This story is is the case for Joe Biden's presidency. And yet I I feel like they've not seized on that at all and that they're letting this opportunity uh, slip on by to show what real leadership, what real trust, what real character looks like in the face of Donald Trump's, in my opinion, illegal and unethical impeachable behavior. And and it just illustrates that the problems we're seeing in Congress with Nadler Judiciary trying to message impeachment to this point, it, it extends beyond just Congress that, that, that the can- candidates and campaigns really have no idea what they're doing in terms of messaging this either. It's so true. I just, I, it, to me, it feels reminiscent of when Mitt Romney was attacked during the election, and they try to take the high road uh, when they went after mm-hmm. him for his his time at Bain Capital, and and they went after him for you know binders of women and other asinine, stupid things. They didn't fight back, and they basically brought a wiffle ball bat to a gunfight, and the Obama campaign wiped the floor with them. And I always blame Mitt Romney for being too timid and not. Not be going on the offensive for why we have Trump now because he should have beaten Barack Obama in 2012. It should he never should have lost that race. That was a gift for them and they blew it. And now we have Donald Trump because of it. So it's all Mitt Romney's fault. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, you know what else? What 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 else is 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 going on that that you're. Uh, that you're keeping an eye on as far as these investigations, what should, what should listeners pay attention to as, as we close? Uh, I I think that one of the central people in all of this is going to end up being uh, Rudy Giuliani Uh, in part, his unusual role of being someone who doesn't work for the white house. He's not a part of the executive branch payroll. He's the president's private lawyer, yet he's involved in these high level conversations involving heads of state, the secretary of state, the attorney general, uh, you know, and questions like, does Rudy have a security clearance? You know, what, what, what process is in place uh, to document the role that he's playing? Because it seems to me that he's certainly playing more of a hands-on role than just a, a passive outside observer. And I think that you're going to see the intelligence committee bring Rudy in for questioning. And what we've seen based on Rudy Giuliani, the television personality, is that this is a guy who contradicts himself within three minutes of each other. Yes. And uh, what is that going to look like when he's under oath at the penalty of perjury? Um, 
you know, I, I, I really think that Rudy could actually be one of the keys in, in, in having this whole thing fall apart for Donald Trump, ironically enough. It's, it's his, his lawyer, his, his top guy that he relies on to go on TV and defend him is actually, I think, his greatest liability. Besides his own mouth and stupid Twitter fingers, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Rudy Giuliani, I mean, he blew open the Stormy Daniels payoff story. Remember the scene with, mm-hmm. when, when Hannity was like, oh, when he admitted it. <laughs> they spent months and months saying that it was a lie, it didn't happen. Trump himself denied he knew anything about any payoffs. And then here goes Rudy Giuliani, very matter-of-factly saying, well, yeah, you repaid him. But it's, it's well, you know what? Funny oh. enough, as we're sitting here right now, I just got this uh, update that House Democrats have indeed subpoenaed Giuliani, oh, uh, and, and and so that's uh, so they're going to try to get him before their committee to talk about this. Well, that should be quite interesting. We'll see whether he actually uh, acknowledges the subpoena or defies it. But here's the difference: when you have an impeachment inquiry. They have more mechanisms to force you to comply They at their disposal oh, absolutely. than they do when it's just regular oversight, which I think that some of these Trump people are underestimating. I just hope that the Democrats have the balls to do it. I don't care if you have to send this freaking sergeant of arms. Enough is enough with these people. Or draw up an impeachment uh, article like they did against Nixon for obstructing, because that was one of the articles mm-hmm. of impeachment for Nixon that a lot of people don't remember. It was obstructing Congress. So good right. luck with them trying to defend that. I, I just, I, I don't know. I just can't with this whole thing. It's, it's too much. Last question. Well, actually, I have two more for you. One, <laughs> is Daryl Issa going to run for Duncan Hunter's seat in, in uh, San Diego? I hope so. Ironically, the answer is yes, and it's so ironic because he was appointed. People might might have forgotten this, but the president had appointed Daryl to uh, to run in a very obscure federal agency involving trade and commerce. And he actually had his confirmation hearing two weeks ago, and the Democrats on the committee – and bear in mind, they're in the minority, so how this happened, I'm not even sure. But they were, they were successful in holding up Daryl's nomination over what they called an issue with his background check, which – and what it was. This is so ridiculous. It was uh, he used a fake ID when he was in uh, a private in the army uh, and underage. What was that? that that's what they. That, years that's, ago. Yes. So that, that, that's <laughs> and so their reward for doing that is he's going to end up running for Congress and probably winning. I think that Daryl is honestly Republicans' only chance of keeping the seat in Republican hands. Duncan Hunter is beyond tainted goods. He's probably going to go to jail and, yep, and, and, and should. should. Yep. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, Issa, now that uh, the, now that his position has been blocked by the Democrats, uh, he's going to return the favor by just coming back to Congress. That's hilarious. And actually, I have to admit, I did not realize that he'd been nominated by Trump. And I was surprised that he would have accepted that position under this administration. Issa got out. He retired before this 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 shitstorm of losing the, the House and what, everything that's going on. I think he kind of saw the writing on the wall, as did many other moderate Republicans mm-hmm. that were like, we want want no parts of this shit storm that's coming. We'd rather retire. And we've got, uh, what, another 19 that are retiring this, this election cycle and counting. I think another, uh, what's and counting. Thornberry just announced from Texas, announced Mac Thornberry is retiring. I mean, they're Which just on. tells you, Thornberry would be the chairman of the House Armed Services Committee if right. Republicans took back the House. 
the fact that he's willing to walk away right now tells you they don't believe they have a prayer in taking back Congress. No, and they don't. They're, they, I mean, I, well, that's a whole other discussion. Um, but yeah. <laughs> so, well, good. I, I, I like Daryl Issa. You know, he was a, a neighboring congressman when I worked for, for Dana, which is how Kurt and I know each other. We were part of the California delegation of staffers and press folks. So, uh, Kurt, it's been, it's been a great ride. I can't believe it's been over, what, almost 12 years, 13 years we've known each other. We fought hard on the Ramos and Confian case and fighting for border security mm-hmm. in, in in, in that part of the against the Bush administration, by the way, folks. So we were uh, we stood on principle, and now Kurt's on the other side. What's it What's it like? What's it like on the Dem side? They keep trying to recruit me, but I can't I can't do it. <laughs> I'll tell you, it, it's it, it, you know, it's funny because it, it, on one level, it's maddening because you 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 see the mistakes that they're making, right. and, you know, and it's like you're at least they're trying to do the right thing, but they're going about it so so tactically terribly at times. It's, it's incredibly frustrating. Um, you know, my sense is part of the reason why I changed parties was because the things that I believed in and we talked about in terms of having oversight, having a responsibility to the American taxpayers about what's going on in their government, how their money is being spent, making sure it's happening in an effective, efficient, transparent way. I still believe those things. Apparently, the Republican Party does not. Yeah. And, and, and at some point, you just kind of wake up and go, you know what? They, they've changed. Um, and, and, and I just didn't feel that I could call myself a Republican anymore, looking at what all of these people, the Jim Jordans of the world, for, you know, have done and what they've turned into uh, is something that I, I, I just didn't want to be labeled as. Uh, every time that I would be on TV and they would introduce me as a, as a Republican, I would cringe internally in my, in my heart a little bit, like, oh, like they've changed so much. That's not really what I am anymore. And so I just made the decision uh, that, I, you know, I, I'm going to own the change that I've made in my heart. Uh, and acknowledge the realities of the changes that the Republican Party has made, and and and, and leave the Republican Party, and and then that's what I did, and, and you know, and, and and I'll say this every night, I I go to bed with a clear conscience every night, at least I can say that. <laughs> that's that's for sure, and I and I don't blame you. I uh, believe me, it's a struggle daily for me, given what's been going on. Uh, I always say I'm a conservative first, and my allegiance is to the principles, not the party and the people that are occupying it now. So I usually well, I think it's more disclaimer. important than ever to have people like you continue to, to to wear the label of being a Republican, because at some point this part of uh, this chapter of the Republican Party is going to have to end, and, and they're going to need people like you and people like you know, look at like Matt Lewis is another example of someone right. who's uh, willing to talk common sense uh, in this time of insanity, and, and, and it's going to be those type of people that we're going to need to rebuild because I think that our country works best when we have two functioning, honest parties. It's okay to have differences. It's okay to believe that there is a different approach to solving the problems of our day. Um, But I think we all, at least people like you and me, uh, agree. We draw the line at committing treason and foreign crimes. No kidding. Well, I appreciate that, Kurt. And that's kind of what keeps me going when I when I get to the point where I'm like, that's it. I'm done with these people. Uh, it's voices like yours <laughs> in my head that say, well, who's going to be there to rebuild it? If we let the crazies take over, then, you know, the party's doomed forever. And so I now I that said, that. if 
you ever get to the point where you're, 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 you aren't that good? The, come on in. The water's warm. Uh, you, you will be embraced with open arms, my friend. I know. I hear you. I mean, I, I, it, I don't think that's ever happening. With all due respect to my Democratic friends, I love you guys, but I, there's just so many fundamental differences in certain things that I just can't do a party switch. If anything, I'd become an independent. But I, I do. We are on the same side through this you know, national nightmare, and I'm happy to support <laughs> sane Democrats like Joe Biden and I voted Democrat for the first time for a con- our congressman here in Northern Virginia and um, I don't regret it. So Kurt Bardella, my there friend, you go. it's been a pleasure. Uh, something else that people may not know about Mr. Bardella is that he is a country music fanatic and he runs this really cool country <laughs> music newsletter called The Morning Hangover. Tell people a little bit about that and if you're a country music fan, you got to follow Kurt and his Morning Hangover stuff. You know, in, in the political world, we have all these daily morning email tip sheets like Political Playbook or Mike Allen's Access Newsletter or CNN's Reliable Sources that tell us what's going on on any given day. And uh, we live in this time where there's so much information and so much content being thrown at us. It helps to have something that you can start your day with that can just get you caught up on what you need to know to get through your first you know, hour of the workday. I kind of took that concept and applied it to one of my passions, country music, and started a daily morning email about country music, things like – who performed on Jimmy Kimmel Live, who's putting out a new album or released a new music video or announced a new tour. And much to my shock, Tara, this thing really took off in Nashville and became the most widely read publication uh, in in country music. And so I get to spend a lot of my days going to country music concerts and going to shows. Last night I was at a concert uh, in in Maryland with 15,000 people. I'm headed to New York this week for Carrie Underwood's show at Madison Square Garden. So I'm I'm living my best life. He really is. And if you're, I had no idea. I'd worked with Kurt for years and had no idea that he was this into country music. And then I started seeing all these pictures of him with these big country music stars at all these concerts all over the country. <laughs> I'm like, what? And sure enough, look at what it's turned into. I think that's awesome. And Kurt's wife, by the way, also has a really cool um, daily newsletter that she does called the Daily. Remind me, it's a climate. Our Daily Planet. Our Daily Planet. That's right. And it's if you're into climate change and you want to see what's going on on uh, from the environment front you need to check out her uh her daily our daily planet as well it, is there a it, website it, it's the uh how do you yes it's uh, ourdailyplanet.com just go there it's free uh and, and we call it uh, my wife Miro. we call it our uh our, our family tip sheet newsletter business that we do together. <laughs> That's awesome. I love your wife. I got to get her on the podcast too. Next time we have a big uh, climate change. Dust she, going on. She's game anytime. She, she, she also, I have to tell you, cause she's going to listen to this. And she told me to tell you that she told you, hello. She, she, she wants to actually get dinner with you and your, and, and, and your man. She, she, she loves you guys. Oh, she's a sweetheart. We got to make that happen. When, whenever you're not, you know, uh, <laughs> kicking it with the hoe down folks at the country music stuff. <laughs> we'll do it Kurt Bardella I love you keep up the good work my friend right back at you thank you so much for having me on (laughs) anytime So on this week's edition of Honestly Speaking with Tara, I have a really special guest that I've been trying to get for a couple of months, given all of the crazy that's going on in the international world with Russia, the Mueller report, and John is just a busy guy. But I finally got him now. You know, he's he is not an international man of mystery. He is an international man, though, and uh, he's a 28-year 
career veteran of the CIA's National Clandestine Service, and he was also stationed in Moscow. So I thought that he would be someone that could bring some expertise to the situation, considering what's going on with with Ukraine and Trump and the Russians. And oh my gosh, this is just too much. Um, he was the chief of station and deputy chief of station in Europe, in the Balkans, Asia, Southeast Asia. Uh, he also ran Russia operations at headquarters, and he's received the CIA Senior Intelligence Service Award, which is one of the, I mean, I'm sorry, he's part of the CIA Senior Intelligence Service and received one of the most distinguished awards at the CIA, the CIA's Distinguished Career Intelligence Medal. So welcome, John Cipher. Jeez, I don't know if I can live up to that, but thank you, Tara. <laughs> well, clearly, you, you've lived a life of distinction, and I'm, I'm very honored to have you on my program, and I know that my listeners are going to benefit from your perspective on all of this. John, you were CIA <laughs> clandestine officer. In the parlance of today's times, you were basically a spy, and <laughs> you're True. sitting here watching this going on with the President of the United States. What are your thoughts well, if you want to put it in spy terms, one of the things that, that the president has done with his actions and is sort of a real problem for us going forward is we're giving you know a gift, a weapon to uh, those services that want to do us harm, namely the Russian intelligence services. They've been playing games in Ukraine forever and trying to spin this information to include Russian disinformation sources have been pushing on the uh, and on the bull, not on the Bolton, on Vice President's uh, son being Biden living there, um, and so you know this just continues to make things harder for us. It continues to sort of muddy the the waters of what is real, what is not real, and gives Russians a real weapon to use against us. I I've often talked to uh, friends of mine who are in either former intelligence officers or analysts, and they are just, they've been horrified by the prospect <laughs> of Donald Trump since he came down the escalator, rightfully so, I get it. But now when we look at everything we know in its totality here in 2019, from the Mueller report to Trump's behavior with Putin, Helsinki, Kim Jong-un, which is a whole nother aspect, but we'll, we'll focus just on Russia for now. Um, the Washington Post recently came out with a story now saying how Trump, during that famous 2017 Oval Office meeting with Russians, how he was unconcerned with their election meddling because, well, we do the same thing. You, you is, is he accusing <laughs> you now of being a, a part of the deep state and meddling in other elections since you were a guy <laughs> for 28 years? I mean, is there an equivalency here? Well, I guess he is accusing me, and it's so silly for him to talk about the deep state because he's in charge of it. Right. He's the president of the United States. If he thinks the United States is meddling in elections, it would have to be signed off and approved by him. So it's very weird that he's talking to a, a crowd, he's talking to an audience um, and that just doesn't understand how the system works. So people like me that worked in public service, that worked in intelligence agencies, military, FBI, State Department, diplomacy, what have you, there's a few things that frustrate us most about Trump. You know, if you take away the domestic political issues, and one is tearing at our institutions. I mean, you know, there is 
no doubt frustration in this country over you know how the way things are going, but for the most part, our institutions are following the rule of law and trying to do their best by the American people. And the other thing that tends to bother us is is tearing into our allies. So, for example, I know from working in the clandestine services overseas collecting intelligence for the United States is that a good 75% of the intelligence that we rely on comes from allies and friends, services overseas that help us. And if you smear them and you and you downplay them, you're actually hurting America. And so those are the things that really sort of, I mean, there's a million things to be upset with him about. And, you know, norm busting and messing with the rule of law and just, you know, his just his demeanor and the way he treats people. But, but you know, under, undercutting our institutions and our allies are, are two things that I think most people who work in national security and diplomacy would be really upset by. Well, that is uh, consistent with his view on the intelligence community. I mean, he seems to have no idea whatsoever or an appreciation for what you guys do, the importance your work is to national security. Uh, I mean, wasn't it, uh, didn't, I think he was commenting about North Korea when he, we were talking about um, uh, that his North Korean, uh, Kim Jong-un's brother or stepbrother, whatever, was, was possibly a, uh, an informant for the United States. And he said, well, though, that would never happen under me. Just like completely under undermining the importance of human intelligence relationships. And I'm sure that the intel community just gasped around the world going, oh, my God. And then you have the story uh, that came out recently that we we removed uh, one of our CIA spies that was in Russia in 2017 over fear that Donald Trump couldn't be trusted with our classified information and would possibly compromise our sources. Is that something that you find to be consistent with? Uh, what you've heard in your intel community? (laughs) (laughs) Well, for sure. I mean, one of the things that the Mueller report showed us is that, you know, he had a tendency when anybody was investigating or trying to hold him accountable of, of obstruction. So, you know, there's 10 cases that are outlined in the Mueller report about obstruction or efforts to stop any effort to look into his, his campaign. And when you talk about some of the things that you just mentioned about, you know, I don't trust human sources, I don't trust the intelligence community, I don't trust the FBI, those kind of things. It's almost, you know, it's almost a form of obstruction. He worries, I think, that the intelligence community or sources overseas are going to be able to report things about his behavior and exactly. behavior of his country. And so therefore he's trying everything he can do to either smear those institutions. So if something comes up, he can say they're untrustworthy or they're the deep state or worse, do damage to sources and people who might give the United States information. So either through allies or through clandestine sources. So, so it's a, I worry about it. You know, as you know, there's an ongoing counterintelligence counterintelligence investigation that Mueller talked about it during his um, time on the Hill. And, you know, they will continue to look at things and they are able to use information that come from the intelligence community. And it's almost as if the president fears that and therefore is doing everything he can to stop that type of information coming through. So that it really is just inappropriate for someone who's in charge of our national security to try to be weakening our national security. Would you say then that, I've said this, but I would like to hear from you what you think. Would you, would it be fair to say that, that Donald Trump represents an existential threat to our national security? Well, it's really funny. So I, I sometimes do these, you know, meet with groups of people from 
the national security you know state or retired people and I was at a I guess a year and a half ago before, General Hayden was giving a speech to a group uh, giving his annual assessment of you know threats to the United States China Russia counterintelligence patriot General Michael <laughs> Hayden has been in the intelligence business for over 50 years and I always say just since you brought him up he is a CNN uh, colleague of mine as is uh, former DNI Clapper and whenever they're in the green room together I just stare in awe um, <laughs> what the hell do these guys talk about when they've had a couple scotches in their own secure rooms <laughs> well also in Tara like you they're not Democrats they're not partisans right. they spent their life protecting the United States if they had to suggest they would probably say that they were Republicans and so their their anger is not based on for partisan means it's based on what they see Absolutely. Trump is Trump is doing so so but go ahead finish so so, so so Hayden was given this sort of you know annual overview like we often do about sort of what are the biggest threats whether it's terrorism cyber attacks you know ch- growth of China etc and he stopped in the middle of it and said but I have to say if you give this talk anywhere around the world the most sort of dangerous thing for people is the Trump administration. Every country around the world has no no idea what the U.S. stands for, no idea what Trump's going to do, no idea who he's, he's, he's cozying up to. So in many ways, you know, we're the biggest, largest, most powerful country in the history of the world, and we're adrift. And that really is a dangerous thing for the international order to try to figure out you know, where we are and where we're going. And, you know, you have a president who has no intellectual interest in doing his job. And therefore, you know, it's a really hard thing for people to try to figure out, you know, what what is America at this time? Which is just astonishing to me that so many people in this country are still supportive of Donald Trump. I mean, I'm a lifelong Republican, lifelong conservative, and I recognized what was going on very early with Donald Trump. I'm from Jersey. I grew up in the era of Donald Trump and tabloids and his excess in Atlantic City. And I remember all of that. And the guy was a joke. And people in the New York metro area all knew that. So there, we were screaming from the rooftops, like, this guy is a con artist who doesn't know anything and is intellectually uninterested. So <laughs> what are you people doing, you know? But people yeah. don't want to listen. It shows you the power of cult of personality and the power of being able to man- manipulate media and information, which leads me back to kind of what we're, what we're going through right now with Ukraine and this story and Russia. So I'm assuming that you are team volume one of the Mueller report, more so than volume two. <laughs> volume one, for people just to remind you, was really about the whole Russian collusion and, um, and, and the operations, the active measures in the parlance of your business, the active measures that Russia was taking to, in, to interfere in our elections. And I'm telling you, that scared the hell out of me. I looked at that in detail and said, how are the American people not screaming from the rooftops about this? And What's and, and the it, the propaganda machine, the power of what Russia was doing to influence our elections and to influence people's opinions on things. It is. I just think the people just don't get it. Can you explain a little bit? A why what the Russians did was so um, nefarious, and B what the significance of the counterintelligence investigation. Like, what is the counterintelligence investigation for people that don't understand that? And how does that play into what Russia did and what we know for sure, factually, what Russia has done and continues to do to us in our elections? All right. There's a lot to unpack there. Um, 
You know, first I'll tell you about a counterintelligence investigation. The FBI is charged with defending the country from foreign intelligence efforts. Um, and they, they do that by investigating and coming up with means to thwart that activity. And so whereas Mueller's investigation was a criminal investigation looking for criminal conduct that they could prove in a court of law, a counterintelligence investigation doesn't have such a high bar over trying to prove something, and if you can't prove it, then you have to put it away. It is trying to collect what information you can find to find patterns of behavior and things that are trying to undermine the United States and then find ways to sort of go against them. So when the Mueller report closed, there was still a lot of you know, unquestioned still out there. Like, why, why did these people consistently lie? Why were the Russians able to have such success? All of the things we saw about, you know, why were there, why were, was everybody in that campaign in touch with Russians? Like, why would anybody running for president and trying to win votes in Iowa or New Hampshire have to have hundreds of meetings with, a, with Russians? They weren't having hundreds of meetings with Indians and Japanese and British people, but they were meeting Russians. Now, he was unable to prove a criminal conspiracy, but it, nonetheless, the question is out there of what was happening. And until you find out what is happening, you, they'll continue to investigate. So that's what a counterintelligence investigation is. And it can be informed by intelligence. So in other words, people like me working overseas in Moscow and places that we have sources that we've run and validated and, and have information from them that could fill into the counterintelligence investigation that the FBI runs. And that, that information may not be usable in a trial, but it is usable for them to do further investigating. So, so let me just quick go back to what the Russians are up to. So the one thing to remember about the Russians is um, most intelligence services, certainly Western intelligence services, our job is to collect information and then give it to professional analysts who put that information together to inform policymakers. So our job is to inform policymakers and an administration about what's going on using the best information that we can get. And it comes from everywhere, from diplomats, military officers, intelligence people, satellites, everything put together to help them. Now, one thing that, that we don't do, but the Russians do very differently is we're, not, we're about collection and analysis. The Russians are about subversion, disinformation, agitation, anything to keep the leadership in power by keeping their enemies off balance. And so since the beginning of the Soviet state, they've had a, they've had a very, very powerful and brutal security service whose job was to do these things like we saw in 2016, to try to continue to cause use asymmetric means and information warfare and all of these different sort of black arts to, to do damage to their, their enemies. And the one thing that, you know, some people who sort of support the Trump administration have said is, well, what, what happened in 2016 isn't any different from the past because the right. Russians have been doing this forever, which is absolutely true. But there are some things that were different about 2016 that made it more successful. And a couple of those were the Russians used to be able to use disinformation, but they had to it took longer to get into the media ecosystem. So they would have to recruit sources in a newspaper in India, have them write an article, have that article picked up by someone that they had in Europe, and it would work its way up the food chain. And if they wanted to create a fake story like the United States created the AIDS virus, it might take several years to get into our, which they did in the Cold War, into the, the media ecosystem. But now with social media, they can weaponize information information and just push it right out there. Trolls, bots, and algorithms can sort of push false narratives. And so it's much, much easier to really poison the information space than is it that, was before. Is that what was called reflexive control theory? 
Ah, interesting. So you do you are paying attention to this stuff. So yeah, part part of what the Russians do that fits into their doctrine is is this notion of reflexive control theory. So it's a means of trying to get your opponent to do what you want them to do without knowing why. And so it's mm-hmm. it's something that they sort of they try to study by. And one of the things is, you know, again to pollute the information space so that your opponent doesn't have any idea what's right and wrong, and therefore just sort of flails about. And and that's one of the things I think we saw in 2016 is, you know, there's just too many people just throwing their hands up saying, well, these guys say this, those guys say that, there's no way to know the truth, so I'm just going to, I'm just not going to participate. And that's, that, that's you know, a Russian disinformation campaign. And a couple of the other things that were different in 2016 that made these Russian covert measures successful, one was weaponizing information through social media. Another one was that Putin really hated Hillary Clinton. He believed Hillary Clinton had, had tried to undermine him in his staying in power in in Russia. Another one that was really important is we really weren't prepared. We were so focused on terrorism for the last 10 years that we really weren't paying attention to Russia the way that we might have been doing during the Cold War. But the Russians never stopped focusing on us. We were always the main enemy and always have been. And so they were essentially playing an open playing field against us. But the biggest thing probably was our dysfunction and our divisions. We were dry tinder for them to throw a match into. You know, active measures, they don't create problems. They amplify them. So they look for weaknesses and they try to push against those weaknesses. And that's really, by 2016, our tribal differences, we hated each other so much that the Russians could just throw stuff in there and we, we we would use the weapons that they handed us. And then the last thing I would say was different about 2016 that made it successful is potential collusion because all of these active measures campaign that the Russians have been doing for all these years required them having human sources that helped them. How did they know to, to put resources into Michigan instead of, you know, Nevada? They, somebody somehow will find was helping them. Whether it was someone in the Trump campaign, I don't know, but they have people in the United States who are helping them do the things that they did because that's been the case with everything they've done around the world for the last hundred years. Well, Paul, Manaf- pa- Paul Manafort was a perfect example of someone who was the chairman, for God's sakes, of Trump's campaign, passing off information, inside information, data, election data, to Deripaska, who was his old bu- buddy and boss there in over there in uh, Ukraine and Russia. Uh, what the <laughs> hell was he doing, giving this guy that, that kind of in, those kinds of internal information? I, well, also ask yourself if you remember from the Mueller report. Um, he believed that if he passed Deripaska, gave Deripaska a briefing on where they were going to deploy their resources to Michigan and elsewhere, that w- that would relieve him of an eighteen million dollar right. debt. That's so right. whatever whatever he thought he was giving the Russians, he believed was worth at least eighteen million dollars. Yeah. Right. So um, the problem is he's been arrested and he's not talking. And so it's probably true that if anybody truly was knew what was happening with Russian intelligence and was supporting him, one of them would have probably been Paul Manafort, I would guess. For sure. Uh, you bring up that the Russians, how did they know? How did they know to what to do and how to pull off something this sophisticated as far as manipulating American attitudes and what, what that dry tinder actually was so they knew where to throw the matches? And you wrote an interesting piece called Convergence is Worse Than Collusion back in tw- August of 2018. And there's two things, there's a few things in this piece that 
that I think people should go back and reread, especially now after all of the things that have happened as of late. But you mentioned one where you talk about um, Russia has never stopped coming after us. And there were some people who, even within the CIA, who thought that after 9-11, we could work with the Russians against the war on terror. And my old boss, Representative Dana Rohrabacher, was one of those people who was mistaken in that area. And it was an area that I disagreed with him pretty strongly on. And when I worked for him from 2006 to 2013, I understood where, you know, his, his position was still somewhat viable, right? Even though now in hindsight we see that it was, and people like you were like, no, this is wrong. I mean, you know, you had George Bush and others who thought, okay, maybe we can work with them because of the war on terror, that we should be natural allies. Those of you in the intelligence community who know what's going on with Russia were saying, hell no, (laughs) this is not going to happen. Stop trying to make this happen with Russia. And when I left Dana in 2013, it was before the whole Ukraine uh, blow up and the annexing of Crimea. So his position, I felt at that point, was no longer tenable. And he was, I, we used to have arguments all the time because I still maintained a friendship with Dana. I love him to death. He's just wrong as hell on Russia. Um, and I used to say, Dana, come on. And he was like, no, 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 because he's all about the Russian people. And he wanted to, he thought that he could be that guy that was going to change Russian U.S. relations. And I'm like, it's not happening. But you talk about that, that there were people who thought that we could still work with the Russians and they were completely ill-advised. Then the other part of what you wrote in this piece is, is you talk about that convergence of interests with Putin's Russia may well prove far more damaging for U.S. interests in the long run than the actual collusion part of it. Can you talk about that? Like how, like some of the comparisons that you use about Trump's interests and Putin's interests converging are pretty scary if you're thinking about someone who's the president of the United States and they're supposed to be on our side, uh, yet you're in league with Vladimir Putin, who's an enemy. Yeah, well, it's interesting. If you look at the recent thing that the the House Democrats are looking to do an impeachment hearing now about Ukraine, what's interesting about that, there's two things in President Trump's – the phone call with Zelensky, the president of Ukraine. One was he wanted to secretly smear an American citizen, Mm -hmm. Joe Biden, by extorting a foreign ally, a foreign ally that relies on us for defense against Russia. And the second was he wanted to dig into a conspiracy theory that Paul Manafort was innocent and the, and the Ukrainians had a role in finding him guilty and that the hacking of the DNC wasn't done by Russia, but was done by Ukraine. Now, uh, yesterday in the Sunday shows, his former cyber boss or cyber czar bosser, you know, made it clear that that was, was incorrect, but that the president can't get that out of his head. Well, let's, now, if we want to go back to the convergence thing, both of those things are stories that have been pushed by the Russians. The Russians want to keep a weak Ukraine. They want the Americans not to give military aid to Ukraine. They're the ones that are spreading these disinformation stories about, about the fact that they did not do the hacks, but the Russians did. So if you believe that crowd stru- that theory that the DNC wasn't hacked by the Russians, but by the Ukrainians, and they, we use the term CrowdStrike because that was the company that looked into the DNC and said it was the Russians. Right. That means you trust the Russians more than you trust your own people. He's got, he's got 
16 intelligence agencies, the State Department, the Pentagon, who are all telling him, and the Justice Department, and Mueller, who've said clearly the Russians did it, and he refuses to believe it. He's believing what the Russians tell him. So that, in many ways, you know, is more dangerous. You're listening and believing Russian talking points. And the thing you mentioned about, uh, you know, we, we, we terribly want to believe that the Russians are natural allies, that they're a European state, that they're against, you know, radical Islamic terror, which is true, but they still see us as the main enemy. There's been a nonstop sort of war against the West that, you know, because we're so big and powerful, we often don't pay attention to, but they they do. And one of the most insidious things about that is is, is President Putin in Russia knows this very well. Yep. So he plays to the right wing quite effectively. So he is there's a lot of people out there on the sort of far right wing that believe Russia is sort of this nirvana place. It's a white country. It's a Christian country. They're anti-gay. They're anti-immigrant. They love guns. Remember, Maria Bettina came to this country from Russia and right. was working with the NRA and pretending they're their guns. So there's a lot of these people on the far right that believe, my gosh, you know, Russia is 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 the kind of country that we should push up with. Now, of course, none of that stuff is true. They're Christian, but they're Orthodox, and the Orthodox Church doesn't want any other Christian sect in there. Sure, they're white. They're anti-gay. That's true. They don't allow guns for regular people, and and they are anti-immigrant. But but it, it is by no means a nirvana place to be, but Putin is right. playing it up for right. that crowd. And by no means is it uh, in line with conservative, what used to be defined as, as traditional conservative uh, American values anyway, which is also ironic that they use the NRA as, uh, uh, you know, a, de- a de- exactly. Russian, you know, state organ of the Russian government. I mean, the, the NRA is in a lot of trouble and being investigated for how much Russian money they took and the manipulation the Russians used with the NRA. Mainly through Maria Butina and others, it's uh, it's that's a whole nother. I might do a whole podcast on that. <laughs> I, I already well, I did that a couple months ago, but now we know even more about it, and I think I might revisit that. No, exactly. It's interesting, yeah. And then you know, it's to think of it as sort of this right wing nirvana places. You know, the abortion rate of the average woman has ten to thirteen abortions in their lifetime. I mean, it's not in a Russia? place that the right wing should be thinking of as a goal. Wow, <laughs> I, that is a startling statistic that I was unaware of, and just further proof of how sadistic uh, despot rule can be on a society. My God, uh, something else you wrote in your in your piece, which I found to be really interesting um, because it just it just it's in line with what's happening right now you see that trumpism shares a disturbing amount in common with putinism including promoting racial uh, racist hatred of outsiders the belief that rich are above the law the reflexive use of propaganda lies and denial and the shredding of legal and political norms um (laughs) you read if you read the i always encourage people please read the Mueller report volume one it's a lot more. It's a lot easier to understand than Volume Two, especially if you're not a lawyer. But Volume One points out uh, some of these things about manipulating, using lies and denial, and 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 uh, taking advantage of our political and cultural divisions. And it also talks about Project. I think it's called pronounced Lakta, Lakta, Project Lakta. That was the 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 um, main disinformation campaign using social media and this is what Mueller with the internet yeah, internet research agency and he when he indicted those Russians in absentia 
outlined what they did. And they actually had uh, our friend Asha Rangappa, who I know is also a colleague of yours over at JustSecurity.org, which is an excellent resource. I always direct people there if they want to get information. You guys and Lawfare Blog are great resources on um, kind of the legality of things and what's going on. But Asha pointed out another indictment from last year that outlined some of the messaging that the Russians were using to push out on social media to try to foment more discord. And it was scary because the examples, and I talked about this in my opening, some of the examples are almost verbatim tweets and things that Donald Trump puts out there. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's so it's like, is Trump a useful idiot or is he really a Russian agent? Well, there's a Just Security article where I, where I wrote, is Trump a Russian agent? So next time we talk, we can talk about that. <laughs> um, give, the, give the Cliff Notes version of it. Well, the Cliff Notes version is he would be the worst source to be handled by a secret <laughs> agent because he can't follow directions. Right, he's unmanageable. He, 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 can't, he is unmanageable. You can't think. But you use the term, which is a true Russian term, useful idiot. Mm -hmm. um, it is a term they used through the Cold War. They had fellow travelers. They had useful idiots. They had people who spied for them, espionage. And so the, the Russians are much better in, at using all of the these different layers. In the in the U.S. intelligence community, I need to have someone who's under my control to work. Someone who's working for me. They know they're spying. They know what they're giving me, um, and and they're following my my lead. For me to get any sort of credit in my system, if I'm going to try to, my job is to recruit sources who work, who know exactly who they're working for, and follow our, our lead. And in the Russian service, because of their communist past, they're much better at taking advantage of, you know, sort of naive journalists or academics of people like Trump. They may not fully control him and, and you know pay him and give him stuff, but but they may provide him information that he then uses to, for his talking points. And that's what they call a useful idiot, someone who serves their needs, even if they're fully witting and aware of it at all times. And so, yeah, I think that is a, is a is a real concern. And, you know, the sophistication about some of these things that you were talking about, about uh, you know, changing minds, the stuff that they used in terms of Facebook and all this type of stuff during the election. There's a lot of people said, hey, you know, there's all this Russian disinformation. It didn't change my mind. I was going to vote for Republican anyway. You know, there's nothing the Russians could have said that would have changed it. But but what they were they weren't trying to change people's mind. They weren't trying to change a Democrat to vote for a Republican or a Republican to vote for a Democrat. They were trying to compel action. They were building narratives to to make people who uh, were already angry more angry. So people who don't usually vote go out and vote. And they were trying to get other groups to sort of suppress the vote. So, you know, they had these fake Black Lives Matter groups and, and woke black groups that were run by the Russians yep. trying to convince people that both sides were racist and you shouldn't vote. So they were trying to get Democratic voters, potential Democratic voters to stay away from the polls. And they were trying to stoke outrage by, you know, hardcore right-wing people who don't normally vote to actually go out and vote. So they weren't trying to change views. They were trying to change behavior. And that's the thing that's sort of really interesting about how, how they pushed that that disinformation campaign during 2016. I would argue it was successful. There are people that I thought that I knew who were reasonable individuals who are unrecognizable now in the way they behave. People I've known, let's say, outside the political world, like friends from high school, you know, thanks to Facebook, you reconnect with people that you hadn't seen or talked to, but you remember them being normal people. I've had to cut off, I can't even tell you how many people, because of their just viscerally ignorant, 
um, uh, I, I guess it's just it's like dedication almost, you know, that to Donald Trump and and just completely ignorant of facts of what's really happening. And they're spewing the same kinds of talking points and messaging that the Russians were pushing through this disinformation. Well, and, and, and it's gotten past, yeah, it's gotten past normal political stuff. So, you know, in just in the last day, the president's talked about arresting a congressman for treason, yes, about, let's stoking, talk about, that. about yes. stoking, stoking a civil war, about, a, you know, arresting people that, you know, he disagreed with them. This kind of stuff, you know, I, you know the in the past, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, that type of behavior didn't fit with either side. Right. And the Russians pushed this. This is this is listed in the Mueller report and also in um, and I'm going to retweet this on the on the uh, on my Twitter feed. This uh, one of the indictments that Asha so aptly pointed out, there's a there's a listing of some of the messaging examples of the ways to manipulate certain things. And the civil war idea that if Trump was impeached or anyone that goes against Donald Trump, yeah. going to be part of a civil war. And I mean, it, it's scary, scary stuff. And to hear the president of the United States well, or to read, we haven't there hasn't been a rally yet. So I'm assuming some of this may come out of his mouth. But just to read on the president of the United <laughs> States Twitter feed, terms like treason and a civil war. And I want to face my accusers. And I mean, this is really, really alarming stuff. I mean, when you, like I, like I said in the beginning, you were in the CIA for 28 years. Had you ever account, uh, encountered a whistleblower or a situation like that? Because we hear that the whistleblower is CIA. We don't know for sure, yes or no. But uh, I see that the administration is trying to, and, and Trump's lackeys are trying to discredit this whistleblower, which I think is um, going to backfire on them eventually. But they're trying to put this out there. Have you ever encountered a whistleblower? Well, there, there's always been a... You know, when we start, we're told that there are these avenues. If we see waste, fraud, or abuse, or or corruption, that it, there's there's means to report that while protecting your identity. I mean, most people are sort of taught, hopefully, that they and they hopefully have people that they work for where they believe they can solve problems within the system. But if you're concerned that about something and you want to solve it through those mechanisms, those are always available to people. Now, something this politically charged, dealing with the president of the United States. No, I've never seen anything like that. I don't think any of us have. But it doesn't... It's unprecedented. I mean, the acting DNI and testimony said that. Yeah, but it doesn't surprise me either. The one thing that's different about the intelligence community, unlike, you know, maybe in the Pentagon, the military, other places, is, you know, it's it's a hierarchical bureaucracy, but it's not one that's, you know, built on following orders and doing as you're told. There's, there is a culture of telling truth to power. We take great pride in going up and taking information that sort of, that goes against preconceived notions or ideas. Um, and, you know, oftentimes that's why the CIA in places have been weak because they, they often provide information that leaders don't want to hear. And for example, it's perfectly acceptable in, in the CIA culture for a 20 something to disagree with the director or in a meeting to bring up your ideas, even if you're a low-ranking person. It's part, that's what you want in, a, in an intelligence agency because it's about finding as close to the truth as you can find and, and, and get information that, you know, real information to people who need it rather than just filling their preconceived notions. And so seeing something like this from somebody in the intelligence community doesn't surprise me. I mean, at a certain point, if you see information which you believe waste, fraud, or abuse, or corruption, or is you know, of this nature, 
if you don't report it, you feel complicit. At a certain point, you can either you can either resign or report. And I think this person must have seen enough and had enough information to say that it's my duty to report this. Well, which is something else. And we only have a few minutes left and, and I want to make sure we get to this. Uh, so this this idea that, oh, it's hearsay and therefore it's not credible. Uh, why are we even listening to the so-called whistleblower? And then the also the idea that the that the White House would take the transcript of these calls, not only the Ukraine, but it's been reported Saudi Arabia and, and Russia, Putin and and. MBS phone calls and put it on a code word system, which is reserved for top secret covert stuff, kind of like probably what you were doing. Can you please explain, um, A, that this idea of that it's hearsay, so therefore somehow this whistleblower <laughs> is not credible, and then like how out of the ordinary putting this kind of information on that system is, since you're familiar with what that stuff does and what it's for? <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, using the term hearsay is kind of funny. It's like everyone's a junior lawyer now and they're using right. these le legal terms. This is not a legal issue. This is these are people reporting what they believe was you know, mismanagement or abuse or corruption. And so essentially, if you if you called all these things hearsay, a reporter would never report anything and an intelligence officer would never report anything because the way I get intelligence is I talk to someone who tells me what they learned in their job. I'm not in their office watching what happened. That person is a source who's telling me things. That's hearsay. Just like a reporter has sources who tell them things. That's how you get information. And the way that you confirm information is you take that, you find out whether that person's serious, they are who they say they are, are they trustworthy? You ask questions, you then validate and vet the information with other information you had to prove it's true. So. The key here is if this person passed information that they believe to be true and then investigative means turned out that it is true, then the hearsay thing is just silly. It's not right. – this is, we're not in a court of law. Exactly. And that's what the inspector general, who is a Trump appointee, that's what he did when he received the information. He investigated and, not, and found not only was it credible, but it was of urgent national security concern, which I just can't get I can't get over how many people are getting away with trying to discredit the whistleblower off this hearsay nonsense. It's, it's just. Yeah, but that, but that's the Trump. Thing. They course. attack the source. They, they they never deal with the actual substance of the – I did some writing early on about this, the Steele dossier. I tried to look at it as how an intelligence analyst or whatever would look at the Steele right. dossier by looking at what it says and then trying to validate it. Does it make sense? And, you know, there's things in there that you can check and there's things that you can't check. Uh, and you can – there's there's information you have about the sources and information you don't have about the sources. But what people in the Trump world did was they just tried to uh, attack – you know, the, the source. They're trying to attack Christopher Steele. They tried to attack whatever the, the money was that supported Christopher Steele. They never dealt with the actual information. And the way intelligence law enforcement works, you know, it's like a, uh, you know, a criminal could report to the FBI information on a crime. They wouldn't 100% trust that unless they can investigate and test it. But it's criminals who often tell the FBI about a crime. And then when they investigate it, they, it turns out to be true. So you have to look at the information and validate it, not just at the source. If, if every source came to us and we just said, oh, I don't like that guy, I'm not going to listen, you'd never get any information. Do you think that what Trump has done thus far, what we know is impeachable? Yes, but I, I'm not a political, you know, I'm no, I know. Officer, I mean, just, just but, your but opinion from a, from an intelligence perspective. I can tell you that it, it, that it, that day after day, that he's he's shredding norms, he's shredding rule of law, you know, 
if I had worked in a place like Ukraine and saw him running these sort of shadow foreign policy using not using the tools of government, but using sort of private lawyers and others to sort of push these conspiracy theories and to hold an ally hostage, an, an ally who's in a war with with an enemy of ours. Yes, I think these are. This is beyond the pale. It you know it, it strikes at sort of the heart of what we're trying to do as a country. What do you say to the people who go? There's there's nothing to see here. The Lindsey Graham's of the world. I read the transcript. Yeah, this is perfectly normal. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at a certain point. These, these politicians, they lose credibility. The one thing that hopefully people in, in public service try to do is they try to maintain, you know, you try to follow the truth, even if it's, if, if it, you know, you get attacked for it. And so at this point, you know, when President Trump or Lindsey Graham or these guys try to state something as fact, uh, after, after just consistently lying, I'm going to let my own eyes and ears tell me what's true and not true. And I read the transcript and I read the whistleblower report and I've seen day in and day out the patterns of activity that the president has done. And so it's clear to me that this is no different than how he's done with many other things where he's been irresponsible and he's not taken his oath of office seriously. That's for sure. We have one minute left and it would be remiss of me given your your uh, career and also the fact that you are the co-founder of Spycraft Entertainment, which consults <laughs> Hollywood and things like that. Um, what is the most accurate CIA depiction in movies or television? One of my favorite movies in the whole world is Clear and Present Danger. I have no idea how accurate it is, but I, I've seen it a million times and I love it. But in your opinion, I always like to ask people who actually live the life, what, what is the most realistic CIA depiction, one or two, in movies or, or television? Oh, that's so hard. And we get to ask that all the, all the time and we're out there. <laughs> um, nothing really capture captures it every some some of them have you know pieces right you know i have to say the one i like the most is, is the americans about the yeah. russian legals program now of course you know, so, some of the trade craft is pretty accurate the amount of the amount of murders is like totally nuts like if everybody's getting killed all the time like i have to say that you know we're not around i'm not carrying guns and shooting people for the most part so i mean but 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 the feel of how you operate in the street and avoid surveillance and meet sources and that kind of stuff, I I had a good you know feel from from that show. What about Homeland? Homeland is each season was a little different. Like I there, I'd been in Pakistan, so I liked the Pakistan season just to get a feel for it. But it's just it's it's still a little too weird, you know. Her, she had so many problems, and there was so much activity that was involved taking place in the United States, which is not. CIA is not running around right. whacking people on the streets in the United States. So, you know, all of them I find entertaining. It's just, you know, it's just a little bit out of the realm of realistic. So the Jack Ryan movies, they're they're like totally I haven't Hollywood. seen the I have well the movies I like too, yeah. yeah. But you haven't but seen the, the series? The, I haven't the, seen the series, no. Uh, you should it's pretty good. I mean, I enjoyed it, but um so Clear and Present Danger, where does that rank? Oh, that's a good one. I like that movie. Good. Have you seen the new Netflix series, yes. The Spy, but with Sasha oh, no. Baron Cohen? No. I thought was pretty good. I'll check that one out too. Yeah. Well, John Cipher, I'm so thrilled that we finally had a chance to chat. I could talk to you for hours. I will definitely have to have you back on as things uh, unfold because your wealth of knowledge in this is just invaluable. And I, I appreciate you taking the time to chat and bringing your expertise to my listeners. And um, I will confess, I've actually never watched The Americans, but you're like the third Intel person <laughs> I've had that says that they like that show. So now I'm going to have to watch it. <laughs> 
There you go. It's fun. John Cypher, thank you so much. Thank you for your service. And um, we'll keep an eye on all this craziness. My God. All right. Well, sir, thank you very much. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much. We'll have you back. That's it for this week's edition of Honestly Speaking. Oof, what a heavy episode this week, but, you know, that's this is what was going on in the world. We got to pay attention, as my grandfather would say. Pay attention, folks. So I'm going to do just a quick feel-good story because um, this, this uh, episode was a bit long, but um, there's a woman in Cleveland, Ohio, who uh, used to be homeless, and she decided to do something now that she's no longer homeless. Her name is Holly Jackson. She founded an organization called Walls of Love. And what they do is they collect items for the homeless and they display them on pop-up walls. So things like toothpaste or um, socks or just things like basic needs for people. They have these like pop-up walls and she um, just like necessities to help the homeless. And then they have fundraisers and things and her organization, it, she has got a website. It's called www.wallsoflove.com. And she just, she escaped an abusive relationship, ended up homeless. Someone gave her a helping hand eventually, and she got out of homelessness and decided to give back. Cause a lot of people, yes, there are some homeless that are just, you know, it's a situation where they're mentally ill. They need to be institutionalized, things like that. But there are other people that just need a helping hand and have fallen into a bad way. And you'd be surprised. So, um, my mom started a homeless program down in South Florida many years ago. I helped her found it and it was faith-based and she helped a lot of people. So I have a certain heart for the homeless and I understand some of the needs that need, that we need and the compassion to help people. So I want to say kudos to Holly Jackson in Cleveland, Ohio for making, putting forth this effort to try to make some difference to get people out of homelessness. And if you want to help or you're interested in this, it's called Walls of Love, wallsoflove.com. You can read a little bit more about that. So good for Holly Jackson trying to do something good. And she came out of their own situation and still wants to help others and bring awareness to homelessness. So that's my feel good story of the week. Follow me on Twitter at Tara Setmayer, honestly underscore Tara, or on Instagram at the Tara Setmayer. And uh, follow John Cypher on Twitter, Kurt Bardella. Just keep up with us because there's going to be more to come. I guarantee it. Have a great week, folks. See you next week.